0: God's Word. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to be in your house. Lord, we pray that as we open your Word, as we uh, gaze upon the the very Word of truth, you speak to our hearts and our minds. Uh, Lord, I, I do pray that you would uh, just ease this headache that I've developed, and uh, Lord, for all those others who are out there that are sick in body, uh, we just pray that you would touch them. And now, Lord, for uh, For those who are lost in our families, and uh, Lord, uh, they're not maybe not even looking for salvation. I pray that, Lord, you would go looking for them, and that you might just touch their hearts and minds. Lord, we pray for our country. Lord, we pray for leadership. We pray for guidance for those who are in roles of leadership. We pray your will be done. And ultimately that the church would demonstrate your love to others during this time. And so Lord you said in your word that they'll know us by our love. And so we pray that even in the midst of all that's going on now. That love would be Lord our example. And that people would say we don't know a lot about what they believe but they sure do love. And we ask that in the precious, the holy, the beautiful, the powerful name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Well, Hebrews 2, in in many translations, starts out with uh, therefore. And it seems like often in our studies on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, uh, I kind of hearken on the fact that when you see the word therefore, you need to ask what it's there for because what it's doing is it's, um, it's a conjunction that's taking what has just been talked about in the previous section and passage and now telling us the practical application of that. Uh, mine says, for this reason in the CSB. And so chapter 1, we read that and then chapter 2 starts and says, for this reason, for since everything in chapter 1, since we know that and it's true, then the application of that or the um the result of that is and that's what, what we're going to look at in chapter 2 so if we're going to understand chapter 2 we have to know what this purpose is for this reason and the reason is um that Jesus Christ is far superior to the angels he's he is there's never been one to whom God said you're my son only Christ there's only been one whom God said to set at my right hand that's Jesus Christ. And so what the writer of Hebrews does in chapter 1 is basically proclaims, listen, um, Christ is superior to the angels, to, to all, all other spiritual beings. that God, create, God did not create himself. He's self-existent. But the angels were all created. God tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, as we're reading that, he created all things through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Christ is the creator, the angels are the creation, and so um so the writer's saying do not worship creation, worship the creator. And so um so Jesus is uh superior to the angels. Well, that's important cuz now we're going to dive into chapter 2 and and again chapter 2 just starts for this reason and what is the reason uh, that Jesus Christ is superior uh, to all the angels, that Christ is the only one the Father said, said at my right hand, that Jesus Christ is the only one to whom God said, this is my son. And so a lot of quotations, about eight quotations in chapter 1 from the Old Testament cited uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, a couple in Hebrews chapter 2 as well. Uh, so we talked a little bit last week about how the writer of Hebrews, uh, one, wrote very eloquently in the Greek language, uh, two, really had a great grasp on the Old Testament scriptures. And so we see them quoted a lot. Uh, in chapter one, we saw God quoting uh, the Old Testament. So it, the, the writer says, you know, God says to Jesus, "Sit at my right hand. God says about Jesus, this is my son. And so it, that, it's kind of unique in that way, but it's, it's neat to kind of see the throne room of God and God speaking to his son and telling him to sit at his right hand. So we're going to jump right into uh, to chapter 2. For this reason, since Christ is far superior to the angels, verse 1 continues, we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard, so that we will not drift away. And so there's this encouragement by the writer of Hebrews, that if Christ is really that superior, then what he's taught, and what the disciples are proclaiming, and what the writer of Hebrews is expressing is of such importance that we need to really hold on to what we hear so that we don't drift away from that original message, that that orthodoxy, that beginning of study, that which Jesus taught, that was handed down to the disciples, and then the disciples handing that down to the next generation. And so we need to hold firm to the truth of God's Word. Uh, verse 2 says, For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding... So if God sent messengers, angels, down to to demonstrate or to share his word, which he did, if it was important and legally binding because the angels said it, then it says, every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? One of my favorite lines, right? So Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. So when God would send messengers down in the form of angels, then his declared message through them would be legally binding, which is this agreement God made. So what God said, God would do. And and you need to take note of that. So in the Old Testament, whether it be through the angels, the angels speaking through prophets or or declaring a message to the prophets and then the prophets to the people of Israel, uh, it was such a huge and great message because it's from God that it was legally binding. But if Jesus Christ is superior to the angels, then how much more should we take his message and his word uh, to heart? And so, yes, what the angels brought and declared were the word of God, but what Jesus declared is the declaration from God. And if it's that great a message and that great a salvation, how in the world can we escape the punishment for sin Here's the message that Christ came to pay for our sins, to to become our sin, to die on the cross, to shed his blood so that we could be forgiven of our sin. That's the message. If we're unwilling to accept that message, then now we stand accountable for our sins. And that's a great salvation we're neglecting, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So if if we think about it kind of this way, salvation is such a beautiful and a big message. The message of salvation is we can't fix ourselves, and we are broken. Uh, When we come to the realization that we're we're broken people, we come to the realization that we are people in need of a Savior, then how great is the message of Jesus Christ that he came and died so he could save us. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, if you think what the angels brought uh, from God was legally binding then what are you going to do with the message that came directly from God in Christ Jesus that's a great salvation and how will we be spared if we reject such a great salvation as that so the angels brought the word of God that's great that's good that it is the word of God they spoke to prophets and then prophets spoke to the people that's a great message but the message Jesus brought was a much greater message. So Hebrews 1, Jesus is greater than the angels. For this reason, chapter 2 starts, that the message of Christ, the message of salvation, is such a great message. How will we escape punishment for rejecting that message? And so us sinners, all of us, have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. If we neglect the great message of a savior, if we neglect the great message of Jesus Christ came to live, die, be crucified, buried, risen again, and ascended to the Lord Jesus Christ, ascended to God's right hand, and is coming back as the Lord, um, then we can't neglect that message. If we do, it's going to be a great price to pay. And so you have a great message. If you don't receive that great message, that great salvation, if we neglect it, then there will be just punishment that God delivers, that he hands out. So God has punished the sin of all who believe at Calvary. That doesn't mean there's no consequences for our sin today. Of course there's consequences for the sin we commit today. But God's forgiven us of our sin in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And so those sins have been forgiven. If we neglect that message, we have to stand responsible. We have to stand in the place uh, where God's judgment will be placed on us for our sins. This is a great and a beautiful message. But boy, it comes at a great cost if you neglect the message of Jesus Christ. That message is beautiful, right? We're sinners. We're lost. We're, We're broken people living in a broken world. And, and men have tried since creation to, to be their own savior, to, to save themselves. Whether it be through their thoughts or actions, their mind, intelligence. Whether it be through their work and, and uh, financial success. But ultimately there's only one means of salvation and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's such a great message that the punishment becomes a great punishment if we're unwilling to accept Jesus Christ, if we're unwilling to accept his message of forgiveness. Verse 4, the writer, well, let's just, uh, verse 3, let's finish. This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. So this message is not only backed up by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he says is truth because he's God. This message is being testified to by the disciples. And so Jesus came and brought the message firsthand to the disciples. Now the disciples are taking the message firsthand that they received from Jesus and sharing that message with the lost world. And so this this message carries great authority because one, its origin is Jesus Christ. Two, it's being passed to us from those who heard it, saw it firsthand. But it's not just the message, it's not just the words of Jesus Christ, according to the writer of Hebrews, but it's various signs and wonders and miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ did. Why? Because he was the Lord over all things, over nature, he's the Lord over sickness. Right, And so he calms the storms, he raises the dead, he heals the sick, the lame walk, the blind see. And so that authority that the Lord Jesus Christ carries as Lord is further demonstration, further evidence that the message he brought was the message of God, the true message. And so Jesus is the the truth, he is the word of God, made flesh, he took on flesh, dwelt among us, all that in John 1. And that's a great message, and so we need to make sure that we listen because it's not only something that we've heard about, right? Yeah, it's been handed down through the disciples and through others, through generations, through the Word of God, but it's also backed up by the testimony of the disciples and backed up by the testimony of the various miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performed. I mean, feeding the thousands, Uh, And and every other miracle just over and over we see the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrate his authority and lordship uh, over the things of this world. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, chapter 1, Jesus is superior to the angels. The Father looks differently on the Son than the angels because he told the Son, said at my right hand, he told the Son, you are my son in whom I delight, in whom I'm well pleased. Chapter 2 says, for this reason, we've got to look at the message of Jesus Christ and hold it on a whole other level, a whole nother plane, than we do that message of the angels. It doesn't mean that the message of the angels is less, angels is less true. But it just means that this message that Jesus brought, this message of salvation, this message of his desire to bring people into relationship, with him through his will it's what he desires that message is too great to pass up and the punishment of rejecting this message is too great to pass up and so ultimately we see people fall into two camps here in hebrews chapter 2 those who receive the message of the lord jesus christ and those who reject the message of the lord jesus christ I'm, i'm glad god uh, sees us through the lens of the work of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that when I stand before God, that God will look at me on the merits of Christ and not my own. And so for all those who would receive the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, can stand before God with confidence that they belong to Him. While those who reject this great message, that God sent His Son, and His Son willingly came and emptied Himself, according to Philippians 2, took on the form of a man, and even suffered death on a cross. That's the humility in the mind of Christ Jesus. All for us. Those who receive it belong to him, and those who reject it truly become sons of wrath, where God justly and righteously judges the sins of mankind. And so the message is this. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ came, as the penalty of our sins. He came to pay for our unrighteousness. He, he came and became our sin. So that the wrath of God may be poured out on him rather than us. And that's a great message of salvation. Uh, to those who receive it. It's the good news. It's, it's glorious news. And to those who reject it. They're rejecting and neglecting such a great salvation and therefore there will be just punishment for that. So of course our prayer is that you might know that you've been a participant in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that you belong to him, that you've given your life to him that he's called you out of your sins and called you into um, the church. And so if, you, if you're not sure of that, if you're unsure of that, I, my prayer is that you'll spend some time really seeking God's face about where you stand before him. Because the greatest joy and the greatest peace that you can have this side of eternity is the knowledge that you belong to God, the knowledge that you have been saved by God, and the knowledge that one day you'll stand before God as one of his own. It says that all these, the distribution of miracles, signs, and wonders, all that is evidence of who Jesus is, uh, were gifts from the Holy Spirit and according to his will. Now, in verse 5, we kind of shift gears a little bit. We start looking at the humanity of Christ. I want to make sure throughout history, uh, there have been a lot of misconceptions about some of the early church councils and, and trying to determine what we believed about certain things or come into consensus. And uh, here's the truth. Uh, the church has never, never doubted the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the church has always looked to Christ and said, He is God. All right? He is the Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so the church has never debated whether Jesus Christ was God or to what extent He was God. But there were questions in some of the early uh, church times about the personhood of Jesus Christ, the humanity. And so there were some, uh, and these, the, this was a heretical thought, that, that said he, he was God, but he wasn't fully man. Uh, and the truth is what the church, and um, even in the early, earliest councils, came together and said, no, he was both fully God and fully man. This is what Hebrews is about to get to. And it's such an important concept. I want to make sure uh, that we never get our view of god, uh, of Christ so out of context that we're unable to see this this um the hypostatic union or or the the two natures of Christ residing in in one man Jesus and that is that he was fully god while at the same time being fully man so that that leads to tons of questions uh a lot I still don't have answers to but but there's no doubt in my mind according to scripture That Jesus Christ was 100% fully man. While at the same time being 100% fully God. Uh, Only God was worthy to be the sacrifice for our sins. Only Jesus could have done that. And it's the divinity of Christ that allowed him to do that. It's the humanity of Christ that allowed him to bear our sins in the flesh and die. Um, And so fully God Fully man, And that's kind of what the writer Hebrews is, is getting to here in this portion of the Scriptures. Uh, verse 5 says, For he has not subjected the angels um, to angels, the world to come, that we're talking about. But someone, somewhere has testified, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. You want to think about this. It's not that, that Christ had subjected himself to, to a subordinate position to the angels. That's not what it means to say he created him a little lower than the angels. But flesh, right? So the angels are spiritual beings. God is a spiritual being. Man has both soul and flesh, right? So so he subjected him for a little time to being in the form of flesh. Still God, but but man. So lower than the angels in, in the sense of the spiritual world, the, um, the world we see around us, the, what we see can touch the earth and the seas. Uh, sometimes we see a separation between that and then the literal heavens, the stars. Um, the, the, I guess the seven great lights would be the five planets we can see in our night sky and two, um, the, the sun and the moon. Uh, we see that represented a lot in uh, Hebrew writings and Hebrew text. Uh, In the Jewish Bible, we see that. We see it reflected in the temple of God as well. Uh, And so to be created lower, it's not a scale of authority that's that's being spoken of here. The, The writer of Hebrews is not saying he made Jesus less than angels for a while. But a different form, right? That the flesh. And so Christ, for a while, took on flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this passage that's being cited by the writer of Hebrews in in verses 6 through 8, then he begins to explain that, and and that's where we read, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. And and so here's what, again, what it's speaking of when it says he made him lower than the angels, that he allowed him to take on flesh, or that Christ willingly took on flesh, flesh why so that he might taste death and so had he not been uh, had he not taken on flesh he would not have tasted death and death was the requirement for our sins and so uh, it, it basically it says here well it just um, literally says God's grace by God's grace he tasted death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death and so he was made a little lower than the angels for a while he came in flesh And dwelt among us. He he suffered and died for us. And has been now crowned with glory and honor. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Which is what uh, the right Hebrews says in chapter 1. And so so we need to understand what, what our thoughts are. What we believe about Jesus Christ. And this is why it's so essential that he's fully human. So that he can take on flesh and die the death for us. Right? Death has been defeated by death. And so Christ has to become uh, flesh. He has to take on flesh, dwell among us so that he can suffer and die for us. It doesn't mean that uh, the divinity of Christ was on hold or that he's separate. No. He was fully God and fully man. But in taking on flesh, it allowed him to taste our death. To die our death. To die in our place. And so that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. He's he's really saying, look at the beauty of Christ. The humanity of Christ never diminishes the divinity of Christ. The fact that he came and took on flesh makes him so much more glorious that, that he would be willing to empty himself, Philippians 2 talks about, and to take on flesh so that he could suffer and die our death. That makes him glorious. Right, crowned in glory, the writer of Hebrews says here. And so just a beautiful picture of the humanity of Jesus. And so he's superior to the angels, chapter 1 talks about. I mean, he's God. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Then chapter 2, but even though he's seated at the right hand of the Father, for a while he had to come and take on a different plane, a a plane of the visible world, physical world in which we live, so that he could face death and, and suffer death. For the remission and the payment and the propitiation of our sins. And so the humanity of Christ is beautiful. It's just beautiful. And in no way does it take away from or diminish the divinity of Christ. Verse 10 says, For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Isn't this something, just for a second, we're going to see what Jesus says, but just, just for a moment to think about the reality and the truth behind that text. That for all those who come to God in faith, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, we share the Father. We we are co-heirs with Christ. We're, We're not little gods. I'm not saying that. We don't become gods. I'm not saying that. I'm not diminishing who Christ is. I'm saying that the writer of Hebrews is pointing out for us That even Jesus Christ calls us brothers and sisters. Even though he is the source of our salvation. We share father. He's still our savior. He's still our God. But this is is what the writer Hebrews says. That the Lord Jesus. Not ashamed to call him brothers and sisters. Saying I will proclaim your name. To my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to To you in the congregation. Again I will trust in him. And again here I am with the children. God gave me. And so we see these references. Back we talked about how skilled the writer of Hebrews is. With the Greek language. But also very skilled. In his knowledge of the Old Testament. And so what we see here. Is a passage in the Old Testament. Describing for us. Jesus Christ being our advocate. Like advocating for us declaring to the judge right declaring to God the father these are my brothers and sisters these belong to me and so it's what a beautiful picture it is of God on the throne Christ beside him advocating for me and you if we really put our faith and our trust in Christ that's the question there's only two groups of people in Hebrews that There's those who are lost and have rejected Jesus. And there are those who have been saved who have received Christ. Neither one of the groups any better than the other. The difference between the two groups we find on this side of eternity is whether or not we receive Christ or whether or not we reject Christ. That's the only thing that differentiates us. Now, are we different once we have received the gift of salvation? We are. We're different. God has, has transformed us. God's given us a, a, a new heart, a new mind. We're still in the flesh. We still make mistakes. We, we try not to, I, I hope. I pray that we try not to sin. But we stumble and we fall, and God's faithful to forgive us all those sins. But you just can't. You, you, you haven't received the message of Jesus Christ if you don't love God and you don't love others. Every page we look at on Scripture declares Jesus Christ and declares our love for God and our love for others. When you look at what we're going through in, in, in our country today, what we desperately need is, is God's Word and God. We need Jesus to change hearts and minds. I mean there there are people out there that are just they're racist and God needs to deal with their hearts and minds that only Jesus can do that but you can't live for Jesus and hate somebody for the color of their skin theologically biblically it's just impossible and so we check our hearts we Inquire with our minds, God, am I loving other people? God, are, are there some things in my life you need to break down, you need to take away, you need to remove? Because Jesus can't. Why? Because there's only two groups of people. Those who have rejected Christ and those who have received the message of Christ. And when you receive Christ, that great salvation that, it's taught, that the writer Hebrews talks about, you receive that great of salvation, all of a sudden everything begins to take on a new perspective. Now we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. And so no matter what we've been raised in or where we've been raised or what we've been taught or what we're guilty of, how we've sinned and let God down, all those things, not only did Jesus come and die to forgive us for those sins, but now he's seated at the right hand advocating for us. I don't know about you, but that just makes me uh, a lot more comfortable in the fact that uh, when I go before God in prayer, that the Lord Jesus Christ is there saying to the Father, this is one of my brothers and sisters. This one belongs to me. This one has been saved, advocating for us. So in Christ we have an advocate. Verse 13 um, Again, I will trust him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offsprings. Uh start, what what's this mean? Just real quick, because it mentions it, we need to address it. So, of course, we know that uh, there was rebellion that took place in heaven. Satan and, and Scripture basically says a third of the angels rebelled and were uh, removed from the presence of God because they had sinned. There is no salvation for those angels that rejected God. Jesus did not come and die. For angels who rejected God. He didn't come and die for the angels in Genesis 6. That left their proper place. And came to the daughters of men. He didn't die for them to be saved. Jesus died for for us. For humankind. For mankind. For all humanity. Every nation. Every tribe. Every tongue. He died that we might be saved. And so the writer points out here that um, since we're children of God, Abraham's descendants were flesh and blood; we're just we're just men. That Jesus came to be one of us so that He could die for us, and this is just a reminder of uh, kind of how God views us. Like God, you know, John three sixteen is a beautiful passage because it, it, it allows you to stop for just a moment and consider the love that God has for us. That, that God would allow Jesus to come and Jesus would be willing to come. The word who had been with the Father for eternity past leaves the comforts of heaven, comes to earth in the form of a man is beaten and mocked and spat upon and nailed to a cross and dies from asphyxiation, has his side pierced, is buried in a borrowed tomb, but rose again. And he now sits, the right hand of the Father, advocating for you and me. Why? Because he came to free us from the slave of sin. He didn't come to deliver angels who had fallen. He came to deliver fallen men. Which all of us belong to. Verse 17 says therefore. He had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. We talked about the fact that he's flesh and blood. That he's 100% man. That his humanity uh, is 100%. But it doesn't diminish his divinity. He's still 100% God. So he had to, had to come in the form that he came. To be a sacrifice for you and me. So we have Jesus Christ, our sacrifice. We have Jesus Christ, our advocate, sitting at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you and for me. And what 17 is going to get us to is we also have Jesus Christ, our high priest. Jesus is God, yet he came as man, still fully God, still fully man. So that he could understand what we face. it's, It's interesting. And it's somewhat mind boggling to think. That everything we face. This side of eternity. Every temptation we face. Every hurt we face. Every loss we face. Christ knows how we feel from experience. He experienced loss. He experienced sickness. Temptation. Pain. Even death. And so we can go before Christ. Who is not only our advocate. But he's our high priest. Well, how's he high priest? Well let's just Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says. Therefore he had to be like us in every way. So that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. In matters pertaining to God. To make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. And so here's the picture of Christ. In chapter 1, he is superior to the angels. He is glorified by God, given a crown of glory, of righteousness, seated at the right hand of God, the only son, only begotten son of God. Then chapter 2 of Hebrews says. He came and he died. One. So that he could understand our pain. And so there's no pain. No difficulty. No hurt. No temptation. That we experience in this world. That Jesus Christ hasn't experienced. And so when we talk. To God through Christ. Secondly he's our advocate. And so when we go before him in our pain, we go before him in our temptations, we go before him in our sicknesses, we're going before God through Christ, and Christ has experienced all that we have so that he can show mercy to us as a high priest. Think about that. So God allowed Jesus to come, become a man, take on flesh and blood, and experience all these things, according to the writer Hebrews, so that he could be merciful. And his role was high priest for us. You say, how's he our high priest? Well, one, he advocates, as we've already talked about, he advocates between us and the Father. And so like a high priest, we go through Christ to the Father. He's our advocate. How else is he high priest? Because he sacrificed for us. Remember that in the Jewish religion, the high priest would make sacrifice for the people for their atonement, so their sins would be forgiven, so they would be right with God. Now what Jesus Christ did is different than that which the high priest did, because Jesus Christ sacrificed himself the perfect, spotless, without blemish Lamb of God. We don't need to offer other sacrifices because Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. And so the blood that he shed for our sins to wash our sins away was once and done for all time. Only need once. Christ doesn't have to go to the cross every time we sin. When Christ went to the cross that was efficient for the whole world and effective for those who believe in him. So the price has already been paid. The price is no different. The price costs the same thing if the whole world would come to Christ or the whole world would be lost. The, the price and the cost of sinfulness in mankind in humanity is the life of Jesus. So he came as a brother so that he could die. That he could fill. That he could experience all that we do. And so we have this high priest who is advocating for us. Who has sacrificed for us. And it just ends as we've been talking. Not only was that to make atonement. To to pay for and forgive our sins. But it's also because when we're tempted. He was tempted in every way we are. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes I think we have such. Uh, a misconstrued uh, idea and concept of Jesus, and uh, it, we either see Jesus too much as, um, as God and only God, or or we want to view the suffering of Jesus and view him as a man and kind of only a man. And and what we have to realize is that we we serve a, a risen Savior who was fully man, and so when we go before the throne of God in prayer, to Christ who's advocating for us, as a man, he understands all that we experience this out of eternity. So actually when I pray, Christ is there, and when I describe my hurt, he knows what the hurt's like. And then he turns to the Father, and on our behalf, as an advocate for us, he presents our circumstance to the Father. He acts as our high priest. He's the mediator between God and man. Fully God. Fully human. But his humanity allowed him to be a merciful high priest. A gracious high priest. A beautiful savior. And so we should all rest well in the fact. That there's only two types of people. Only two groups of people. God doesn't distinguish us. No one's held in higher esteem than the other. As people. We are either. Saved by grace. Or we have rejected the message and we're lost. And if you're saved. Than the very same God. Who sacrificed himself for you. Christ. When you speak to him. When you go to him in prayer. You're going to a merciful God. Because he knows what your hurt is like. And he knows what your pain is like. And that just comforts my heart. And I pray. That it would be comforting to you as well. I'm going to pray and we're going to conclude for the night. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. We know that your word is living and active. It is profitable for all uses, including to build one up. To convict one of sins. I pray tonight you speak to our hearts and our minds. May the Holy Spirit of God, who inspired the writing of the New Testament, uh, Lord, bring edification to your body, that we might be about your glorification to mankind, that, that we might declare the glory of God and the mercy of our Savior. And that if anyone tonight were lost, that tonight may be the night where your Holy Spirit speaks to their hearts and they come to know you as Lord and as Savior. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.